Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 851 with Rudy Mick and Bob Sloop. My last sentence, and then let me let Bob jump in here, is what we've found is when we're purpose grounded, driven by values, profit sharing works even better. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by DiageoBarAcademy.com, and I cannot be more excited to be partnering with Diageo because we have such similar missions. We want to share knowledge and transform the industry. Diageo Bar Academy equips bartenders, servers, managers, and hospitality professionals with the insights, stories, and tools to be better They are consistently raising the bar on industry standards, and no matter what your skill level is or knowledge or availability, there's something for you at DiageoBarAcademy.com. They have master classes and live events, and if you can't make those master classes or live events, there's recordings, so you can watch it on demand at your convenience at www.DiageoBarAcademy.com. That is D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Get over there. Today's episode is brought to you by Margin Edge, a restaurant management software that uses POS integration and invoice data to show you your food cost in real time. Margin Edge gives you your prime cost daily, so there's no surprises at the end of the month. By totally digitizing your back office, your team saves hours on paperwork and gets instant insights to manage food costs, labor, and budgets in the moment, not weeks after the period ends with supply chain disruption and labor shortages. Making real-time data-driven decisions is more important than ever. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, Margin Edge is going to cover your onboarding costs. That means you get 60 days free to get started and up and running before you make your first payment. To learn more, head to me.marginedge.com slash restaurant hyphen unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. What's going on, Unstoppables? So today we have a great show for you. A little bit of an outside of the box type of show in the sense that I wasn't originally planning on publishing today's recording to the podcast. It was originally meant to be an in the network uh, standalone event um, just for Restaurant Unstoppable Network members. However, the conversation was really great. 
And I feel like there's a lot of value here and I wanted to share it with a greater restaurant unstoppable audience. Rudy Mick from Mick Consulting reached out to me who is a repeat guest on the show. Somebody I have a, a lot of respect for, somebody I go to often for advice and wisdom and also Bob Sloop. Uh, who is a member of the network. And he's also the CEO of Kaizen Management. It's an advisory. He does, he's in accounting. He's a CPA. I'm pretty sure he does advisory for compete restaurant 365 implementation. And uh, he really knows his stuff. So both of these two dudes said, Hey, we have some thoughts, some, some models we would like to share with you. We think your listeners could value from this. And me, kind of wanting just to be in like the research mode of just seeing what's on the table. You know, I know about co-ops. I know about synthetic equity LLC. I know about profit sharing. And today, Bob also brought his Kaizen management model. So today is kind of just an exploratory uh, conversation, an open table conversation around what are some of the options? How can we create more equitable business models in the industry? So I, I kind of hope to follow up on some of the things we discussed today and going deeper. Uh, but I did want to bring this to you and I would love to get your, your thoughts, which of the things we discussed today, which are most interesting to you? What would you like me to dive deeper into? And I really do want the show to kind of continue to take this type of approach going into the future where the content, the reason the content is the work I'm showing my work and I'm, I'm literally putting it out there for you guys to see my, my mission is to be the most trusted resource out there. And the way I intend on doing that is laying it all out and, and showing my work. So I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of the conversation. I want you to let me know how I can go to work for you. So what, what's interesting in these conversations, what stands out to you? What do you want to know more about? Let me know when I will go to work for you, join the network, be a part of the conversation. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy this. So here it is. I mean, I guess this to start, Rudy, you're here first. Like what, when I say more equitable business models, what are the first options that come to mind as far as if I was a client approaching you, what would you, be, what would you, what would your advice to me be? Well, if I, I back up for a second and I, I would edit the ESOP comment to say, what is the actual and anything we talk about? What is the actual goal and what is the reason for a particular idea or model? So an ESOP isn't necessarily bad. It is simply, you know, how do you use it uh, and what's the effective structure for it? So I I would caution that in any dialogue. Yeah. Um, so, I, I guess not necessarily so, bad, but out of reach, I guess, was the, the what I picked up for many people. I, I, yeah. So, again, what is the stage of development for a restaurant? So we're talking restaurants specifically. So we do financial modeling for all kinds of different industries, but started in the restaurant business. Here, here would be uh, my headline to your opening question. Going back as far as 1986 without aging myself, uh, owning my own restaurants and building restaurants and chains for other people as well, it was abundantly clear as early as 86, 87, that if I wanted a goal of making 100 grand a year as a base, 
there is no money in a restaurant model for five, six, seven managers at that base rate, even then. So what immediately became clear was, well, what about profit sharing of some model? And our profit sharing uh, evolved to both gross and net. There are lots of cases where operators will look at net only. Some will look at gross, but are resistant. Um, To me, gross net is a really fun place to play if you're a privately held company. If, uh, and that can evolve into percentages. And again, it's not my, I I could wax on, right? How do you get minority shares, sweat equity? One of the great gifts of the restaurant business is there's all kinds of options for equity and growth if we change our perspective. The only, my last sentence, and then let me, let Bob jump in here is what we've found is when we're purpose grounded, driven by values, profit sharing works even better. So I'll. Yeah. And that was one of the big takeaways I I did get from the book, even though ESOP specifically might be out of reach or not an option for a small business owner, regardless of what legal structure you're using the concept is the same that people show up differently if they have skin in the game or if their name's on the door or or whatever and then regardless of how big you are you need to stitch that into your culture um it's it can't just be like this is something we do like it has to be all consumed like we live to be an employee-owned organization it's it's who we are it's what we are i i Yeah. And at the same time, the very act of just purpose and values in place, even without profit sharing, creates an ownership attitude. The next level, then the next level is how do you share profit? How do you share revenue? Yeah. Uh, Bob, um, did you want to round off anything uh, from what Rudy Mosh? I, I, I have a, 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 a different, little different perspective here. Sure, please. And, and that is, first of all, when you say profit sharing, you know, the immediate reaction for the employee is going to be, well, you can manipulate that number. So I don't really want that. Uh, the perspective here, in, in conjunction with the pandemic, the pandemic, this instantly showed the the dirty underbelly of fragile structures to begin with in the industry. Yeah. Boy, no kidding. So, I mean, how many times have you heard, well, we're in a low margin business. Well, that's not true. Okay. Uh, You're in a low margin business because you don't have the tools. You don't have the proper controls. You don't have a plan. You know, how many, how many times have you already heard me say, Eric, do you have a written business and operational and marketing plan? No. Okay. Well, that right there, that's a big, huge problem for me because you have no guidance. You're not following a plan. Yeah. 
I don't know what you're, you're running down the street with your hair on fire. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that is, and, and it's a two, it's actually a four-sided, you know, sword here. If you took all of the negative things associated with the traditional restaurant model and said, we're throwing it out the window, forget it. It does. It's too much grief. It's too much aggravation. There's too much liability. There's too much this. There's too much that. And all of that really affects the bottom line. It really does. Um, that's why I promote or have promoted since 1998 a no-tipping mom. That's why when you talk about ESOPs, all right, like anything else in the restaurant industry, if it's cost prohibitive, okay, it's a problem for a restaurant. And the reason why it's a problem, because they don't, they're following a, a, a set of model structures that only generate 8 to 10%. So they can't afford $100,000 worth of anything. Okay? So, so let me understand. Is, up to, I want to make sure I understand up to this point. Just make yeah. sure we're aligned. So yeah. what you're saying up to this point is that in the past, these models haven't been an option where many restaurateurs didn't think they were an option because the margins were so small. They're like, I can't give up any of my profit because there's not enough to go around. Yeah. No, well, it's, it's worse than that. What they do is they research for free what they're, all their competitors are doing. Okay. Just like how much am I going to charge for the salmon dish? Oh, Joey charges $32. We're going to charge $32. Ah, wrong answer. What's right. your what's theoretical cost? How does that align with your with your cost of goods number? Right. How does that align with the with the budget and and right. and the model? This you know random thinking in regards to not following an operational structure is something I preach from day one. Day one is you are married to the model. I don't care what you feel or what you do. You are married to that model because the model, when done correctly, is going to produce X dollars for you and your people. Okay. Now, the big thing here is take a look at the restaurant industry in column B and compare it to a standard company that sells widgets. Okay. And you will find out that if I went to go work for the widget company, they have base Benefits, bonus, 401, expenses, stock options, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. On the restaurant side, none of that exists. It's just the opposite. It's hourly employees. It's little to no benefits. There is no stock options. There is no 401. There's, I mean, and in the bigger organizations, there could be. I'm always talking about small independents. Okay. Because they opt for the traditional, what I fundamentally called 1905 model that only generates, at, you know, at best 10%. And that you have an opportunity when you talk about redoing the financial model and talking about equity in regards to making your people feel an ownership thing. Okay. And there's a whole other discussion associated with how you hire people and what you look for. Right. Okay. Uh, y- y- you want to look for people and train people 
in critical thinking, in emotional intelligence, in financial literacy, in self-awareness. These are the these are the principles and characteristics of an owner. Okay, not everybody has that mentality. Most restaurant workers have an hourly mentality. Yeah. Um, well, they have an hourly mentality if that's what we support them to have, right? Bob is so right on. And Robert, what I appreciate in what everything you said, I couldn't agree more with. The What I appreciate that you did was slow down and go where where I was talking about, oh, profit sharing or not. Absolutely, that's part of a business plan. So the fundamental, and Eric, you and I have had this conversation many times, the fundamental premise of a mom and pop startup is failure. It's a screwed up model that generates, as Bob was saying, 8 to 10%. The national model is 3%, right? We're, we're making 18, 19. Yeah. And I mean, one of the reasons I should preface this, that I think it's really important to have this conversation right now is that we're, we're, I mean, it's not a new conversation. This conversation has been around ever since the industrial revolution, where are our jobs going? There's fewer and fewer jobs. Uh, What's going to happen when all the jobs are gone, right? Like that's part of the, one of the reasons why we're having this conversation is that tech, you know, technology is exponential right now. And for the first time, there's an exponential cultural shift happening. So not just the fact that the technology is there and available to us, it's the fact that people are more accepting and willing to evolve and adopt the new technology out of necessity. Right. So you have these two things happening where I, I think don't know that that's true. Well, that's what the message to them is. Well, that's, the what these, to them. that's that's what the, <laughs> the billions of dollars from third party delivery companies well, is, no, see, is here, telling these people. Here, here's the problem. Here's the problem. The pandemic comes along and exponentially increases by three times the world of an industry now known as delivery. And they're smart enough to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to pay these guys $23 an hour. So now the lonely restaurant worker who breaks his ass every single day and is working 60 to 80 hours a week uh, with no benefits or little benefits is now presented with a layoff and an order that may or may not realize the value of keeping in touch with those people. Right. And now they're presented with a condition where, hey, I can make double my pay and get benefits. benefits. Yeah. Okay, so now that creates the labor shortage in the in the industry. It's not just technology; it's it's the industry that that was created because of the pandemic. Okay, and, and the answer, the yeah, the answer to the labor shortage for restaurants is automation. It's absolutely automation. Uh, Rudy, what's your thoughts? Well, I I would again, I I think. There is more agreement than disagreement. The the mind, what we're actually talking about is what is going to force, not invite, a brain shift, a thought process, a business model for the industry 
that shifts us from the industrial age to your point, and I've got mine, screw you, you're my employee, <laughs> to we together, the blend of I and we can integrate a better performance model. Um, the technology, there's no doubt, Bob's right, that tech and robotics AI is going to take over a huge amount of production, but there's always going to be a place for the human touch and the repair, the anticipatory care of. But even that, right, where I go is if an operator can't even have the discipline to clean a hood, how are they going to clean a robot? How are they right? I mean, well, uh, that creates more opportunity. I feel like that. Um, I mean, we always think about jobs being lost, and we never have the foresight of the exponential growth that happens for opportunity. I, I, think, I think there's all kinds of opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, there's going to be tons of yeah. opportunities because of all the mechanical issues that are going to be out there, of uh, software issues, and those are going to create better jobs, better jobs, right? Not just sweeping jobs, flipping burger jobs, but like I. We're, we're fragmenting and diversifying the, the amount of technological jobs that are out there. Um, and I think those are going to be big paying jobs, you know, is the, that conversation Rudy is, is, is about avoidance. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Specifically and, uh, what's about avoidance. The, the, the concept that you're going to create, you know, uh, new jobs. Yeah. You're yeah. going to create one new job and lose six other ones. But yeah. those six other jobs aren't the kind of jobs that are good for everyone. They're they're for okay. now well, week week just, by week, paycheck by paycheck type jobs. Right. Yeah, let's just stop right there, okay? Because what you're missing here is you're taking the typical restaurant structure and model and you know brigade and and I need fifty five bodies to screw in a light bulb, okay? And now you're going to turn around and say. With, a, with an overview premise of, you know, if I go to work as a CFO of a company, all right, it doesn't really matter to me what sector it's in too much. I could pretty much learn it within 90 minutes. But they want to know, you know, where I got my MBA. And I could, I could tell you the dozens of times I haven't gotten a job because my MBA was an Ivy, all right? What isn't created in the food service industry that doesn't exist because it comes from way, way in the beginning is food service employees were people that were unskilled, coming out of jail, uneducated, maybe didn't speak English, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There was no, you need to have a culinary degree to work here. You, you, didn't, you didn't have to have a degree in hospitality from Cornell to work it. <laughs> that, Rudy's laughing because that's it's not the that. restaurant people are hired. Okay. We just want to throw a body at it, say, follow Jerry, and that's your training. That, yeah. that's, 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 why we, that's why that model doesn't work. Okay. Yeah, the, other, the other piece that, that Bob is alluding to with the, with the pandemic tied to all this job stuff right here. I mean, we're touching on a lot of different topics, 
it's where attitude culture really play, whether I've got a degree from Cornell or I don't, right? I speak every, uh, I speak two languages, but neither is English, right? And uh, maybe I have some knife skills. But the, to me, if we go back to the pandemic as a catalyst, the other the other gigantic piece of the pandemic was not only the delivery piece, which just hit us in the face in terms of options, but it was the great majority of the industry survives on cash flow, not profit. Right. And the margin is so low for most operators that follow Joey or or don't bother to to invest in the things that Bob was talking about, like training, like research, like a business plan. So what ends up happening is I can survive for about 30 days on cash flow, and that's it. I got nothing left. What's my option? Shut down. Or pivot quick and get into delivery or carry out or whatever, which a handful of people did do. But the great majority, there's, it's a sad, sad story, but they went out of business because they're, they're, they've got a bad model. And yeah. Rudy, I could, I could, t- I'm on, a, I'm on the New York State Restaurant Association panel. That Zoom call that happens twice a week. Yeah. It's very depressing. Oh, it's so sad. It doesn't have to be that way, right? Well, I see, no, but you, one of the things that you alluded to, and it, it's, it comes to the top of the discussion, Eric, is the models that we and that me and Rudy would probably concur on include a culture change. Yeah. Okay. And when you start talking about culture change, we can go back to the world of no tipping. It, it's like, you know, you're talking, you know, Martian. So it, it's find that culture that need, like, what's the, the image of the culture that you're proposing? Like, what does that change look like? Oh, okay. So, I mean, you're asking me to describe the Kaizen model. I'm just trying to get, some type of, I mean, the, the, there's just so many possibilities th- of things to talk about. So I'm just trying there, to narrow down the scope. A so, little bit. so one fundamental base, one fundamental base that I, especially as Bob goes to Kaizen, which I totally get and believe in. If an operator lives in the world of fear that you're going to steal, you're going to try and rip me off, you're going to try and get a day off without uh, calling in. If you're going to lie, cheat, and steal, you're only an hourly worker. Then guess what happens? That's what happens. And the capital perceptions reality. The con the concept of I get mine and you're an employee is dead, right? We It was dead in the 80s, but we keep fighting for the model that, and, and so consequently, the culture of I, we, we, collective I, create this great restaurant. If I treat my people with respect, guess how, how they treat, and we train them, 
and we believe in a Kaizen that they're going to keep growing, guess what they do? They keep growing. Mm-hmm. But the, that model of I've got mine and you're just an hourly employee is uh, it's a dead model, and but it is the majority of the industry. It's, yeah. it's, it's the, it goes back to a condition. By the way, Eric, I really enjoyed your uh, interview the other day with the guy from Nashville. Oh, Brandon Still? Or uh, no, he was there, but you're thinking of um, Benjamin. Um, the episode that went live today? Yesterday. <laughs> uh, well, today's Monday, right? It was Joe, it, it, it was, uh, what was it? Cafe 23. What I'm getting at is the operator opened up his first place at the age of 23. And he really didn't plan correctly because he didn't have the capital to do it. And he made a choice of a tech stack. That that's was Ben Goldberg, the Benjamin Goldberg that you're yeah, talking about. That's yeah. It. That's yeah. It. And I think you probably listened to it in the network, which is why I was thrown off because we published earlier in, in, oh, in the sorry. network than on. No, that's fine. That's why I was they, confused. Yeah. They, they, they made a huge mistake in their tech stack to begin with. And that cost them all kinds of grief and trouble at the end. But forget about that for a minute. Why doesn't the restaurant industry operate under the same models that a regular business does? I got grief for that, Rudy, by the way. <laughs> I said that on a podcast one time. Yeah. And, and they like crucified me saying, what are you talking about? The restaurant industry is a real company, blah, blah, blah. I go, it doesn't operate like a real company. So why doesn't it operate? Well, like, yeah, exactly. It is. So because why? That's, because that's what they're used to. Restaurant guys compare themselves to other restaurant guys. Exactly. Because we're so in our own bubble. The restaurant industry in itself is an echo chamber. Oh. Rudy's going to like my comments. Restaurant tours only do things when they're forced. Nobody <laughs> wants to be the first to the party. There are very little, if maybe a couple of dozen leaders in the industry. Okay. And the, the, the pandemic has given us a blank page. You, you, you can do what you want. Now's the best time to reintroduce to the public that, ha, that has already been reprogrammed to live in their pods and you know, be happy with a bowl of food. And let's turn hospi- hospitality into 140 characters or less. And let's have ghost kitchens and, you know, let, let's make the barriers to restaurant entry like next to nothing. That, Which I think are all good. I think that's a good thing. I think that what, I, I think it's good and bad because yeah. what you're going to have is a tremendous amount of failure. Yeah. Which is OK. So, what's wrong with failure? No, no. What's wrong with failure? Do I do it with your money? <laughs> oh my God. Well, when the over when the so, barrier of entry is next to when it's pennies. So, no, it's not pennies. It's well, never pennies. A pop-up is it's not too expensive. Pennies. It's never pennies. And how... I, I, I love this conversation, Eric. And, and you're actually getting to the bullseye of the frustration of an industry for decades that doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't effing have to be this way. So, for example, Bob mentions a 23-year-old. I opened my first deal when I was 24. 
but I was mentored by guys that were bankers that we were doing yield analysis to the tenth of a percent daily by hand with weekly financial statements, weekly inventory by hand. Okay, want to open a restaurant? We're already running in double-digit profitability at 24 years old. How do I open a restaurant? Just like that. And we made money in the first month. 99% of the industry doesn't do that. They go, well, I love to make chili or I make a great taco or name the dish. And for 20 grand, I can go buy a couple pieces of used equipment and open and they ballpark everything and they lose their rear ends within months. But and it's sad. It's I sad. agree. It's unnecessary. But I don't, I think you can get in for way less than 20,000 today. You can get in with a friend who has a restaurant who lets you use it when they're closed. That's still their money. But the, I, I'm saying that it's the point now where the money you're spending is like hobby money. You know what I'm saying? Where like you no, can you I can don't. do it. the bar the, the, the Eric, bar has been lowered so Eric, far. Look, I'm the first one to agree with your statement that the barriers to entry have been lowered. Yeah. Okay. Yes, you could call up Wooden Spoon and for twenty five hundred dollars I could be up and running. Okay. You're absolutely right. Am I gonna succeed? Well, here's the thing. 90% of people won't. And that's not a bad thing because the cost of entry is so low okay. that most so, people are going to be like, fuck this. I don't okay. want to do this. This isn't so fun. I thought it would this, be, but yeah. you know what? I'm, I'm in for $10,000 and I'm out now. Okay. So here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. And I don't know if Rudy's going to agree with me or not, but I, I pose the question to you, Eric, instead of turning the hospitality industry into a low cost, low margin barrier of entry industry, Okay. Why don't you do the opposite? Right. Why don't, why don't you make it so that you need to be a food service professional, that you need to be trained in hospitality, which and is have hundreds of thousands of dollars of back? Excuse me. You don't need thousands. Of, I could do it for free. Okay. And there well, are, when know, I said that, you said it wasn't possible. No, <laughs> you don't get it. You still have the mentality that it has to be free. You think like a restaurateur. If it's not free, I'm not interested in listening to it. Okay? What we're talking about, <laughs> Rudy's laughing because he knows where I'm going. With You're making a lot of assumptions right now, too, but keep going. No, I'm not making any assumptions. Keep going. I'm thinking totally Please out of the going. box. Okay? I'm throwing the restaurant model that you know, that you grew up with, and saying, throw it away. Yeah. Throw it away. We agree. Keep going. You got a blank page, Eric. What Keep kind going. of quality employees do you want to hire, Eric? The kind that I think the kind of employees that I want to hire aren't the kind that are going to be hired if I call them employees. Okay. So you're stuck on ownership. I think right? that's the only way you're going to attract people who are talented and truly okay. hospitality professionals like no, you're talking you, about. No. If you recall our conversation. Maybe right now, but in the next 10 years, it's going to be true. No. no. If you recall... Okay, there are plenty of companies out there that have been doing this for centuries without it being a problem. Okay, if you went to go work for a restaurant, if you worked for my restaurant, 
I would tell you, you're not an hourly employee. You're going to get a base salary. You're going to get 40 hours a week if that's your mentality. Okay. So you're not going to have burn. All right. So that's your base. Okay. You're going to get a revenue share. And I'll, and I can go into detail about that. You're going to have full benefits, non-contribution by you. You're going to have a 401 where we match your, match your contributions. Okay. And if you really want to get nuts, we could talk about a management deal, a top and bottom for the employee. Okay. You name me the restaurant that does that. I think that, I mean, I don't disagree with what you're saying. That's, and that sounds well, like your I'm Kaizen just, model. I'm just answering your equity question. Yeah. So just to, just to join Bob for a second, in the pandemic, and Eric, you and I have had this conversation a little bit, and in the costing class that I did with as small an audience as we had, we had this conversation. And only one of the people that took that class are still working on the systems that we offered, at least in my understanding. Here's where I'm going. To Bob's point, we've got clients in six different countries running restaurants at double-digit profitability, top and bottom line profit sharing, literally off the gross as well as the net, 401 with insurance. Yay. They're not and, in this country. And, and the, to Bob's point, the great majority of the industry is going, never happen, can't do it, can't afford it. And it, uh, I think a little bit different than Bob. Yes, we might have immigrant workers we might have low entry skill sets in some positions, but what we have, the hiring contributor is a mind and a heart that wants to perform, not wants to be poor me, take care of me. So learn fast, sharpen, not just knife skills, but sharpen the training and train to the brand experience that we want. And there's, it doesn't matter what the concept's going to be. You'll make money. So I'm, I, I, so what I think Bob dropped on us, the salary plus rev share plus 401 plus insurance is what you're proposing. The Kaizen model would present, right? Yeah. And it, it answers some other historic inequalities in the restaurant industry. The typical restaurant, you know, that, that evolves into a tip pool or something like that cre- creates a front of the house, back of the house condition that is just terrible. You know, uh, the back of the house doesn't get any, any, any props for, for doing a good job. Uh, that, that inequality goes away. If you take away tipping and make it part of the, the menu price and equitably share you know, the, the service portion of the revenue with the entire staff, okay, there's your up and down, okay? The benefits, because you're doing that, are also covered by that, okay? And we've developed an algorithm that actually, when you put in your model of 
I'm going to do X covers at, at Y PPA, it, it automatically does the labor model structures. It tells you how many people you need. It tells you, you know, what the categories are. It tells you what you could pay them as a base salary, and it breaks out their distributions for for all the benefit package and the, and, and the bonus plans and everything else. This is an algorithm we developed 15 years ago, okay? It's possible to do. I've done it with other clients. Have they done it completely? No. They never do it completely, okay? It's always a hybrid. It's always, well, we kind of, if you remember my discussion with David Peters, Eric, I asked him how many of how many of his clients hybrid the model, and he goes almost all of them. Right. Okay. Because there's a sense of of ego and ownership here <laughs> that, that they believe that it's never going to work, and they don't even give it a chance. They don't. They don't. They don't just. They just discount it immediately, and and don't even try. But that you know that's part of what the industry is about. So since you've been given a blank page. Okay. If I told you, if Rudy, Rudy, I could show you on paper, Rudy, I could take a restaurant that's doing, I don't know, anywhere from four to six million. Okay. And it doesn't have to be that high. It could be two million and, and generate a a 50% EBITDA. Okay. 50 is pretty sweet. I'd love to see that. I'd love love to show it to you. We're getting we're getting into the twenties for sure. Uh, I, I have three dozen clients that I took from eight, nine, ten, eleven to the mid twenties. Yeah, yeah, mid twenties is very doable. I've never seen fifty, but I well, yeah. no, fifty would fifty would have to include an additional non-operating revenue stream. Yeah, and yeah. Wes is going to love this, yeah. like membership. Yeah. So think of, think of a Rudy, think of a concept model mm-hmm. that says, I'm going to open a restaurant and I only want 500 customers. Right. But I'm going to charge them a monthly fee that's going to hit their credit card and it's their restaurant. Right. And we're going to, we're going to do a concept called proactive hospitality. Rudy's going to have a big smile on his face. I'm going to actually ask the customers what they want. Now, the answer from a restaurateur is they don't know what they want. Uh, did you ask them yet? Right. They never asked them beforehand. Yeah. They create a menu. They do a model. They do a cuisine. That's what they want to do. Whether the customer wants it or not, that we'll find that out over the course of the next five years. Uh, if you include non-operating revenue models like membership, there are other ones. You can hit that 50% number. I do see um, something about non-tipping models not working. Um, again, there are, I, I don't know that that's true, but there are exceptions. There are certainly exceptions. So to Bob's point, who are actually the leaders who are actually experimenting with stuff and willing to experiment one of the uh, I'm still actually uh, unlike Bob, what we do with front and back in in those arenas that are tipping, what we have done is go to production model bonuses. So over a set number of plates, 
right? The heart of the house what is what we call the back. The heart of the house drives a quarter a plate or 25 or 20 cents a plate, something like that, that the more production that is pounded out, the busier we get, the more money they make. That's it's the same model, Rudy. Yeah. Ex- so so your model is based on throughput. The, the process is if you do, so this goes back to homework. <laughs> if, <laughs> if you actually do a pro forma and actually look at what baseline profitability we have to hit, let's say it's 10%. We hit 10%, we start paying profit sharing above that. We hit, let's say, to Bob's point, I love, I love four to six million a year, right? We, a six million dollar restaurant is a great, that's a great deal. Whatever the number is, if it's a million five, anything over a million five, we start paying bonus on or profit sharing. So now there's a gross net indicator and everybody performs in it. The heart of the house, the front of the house, the managers. And when I started out as a young guy doing this, I my picture was, well, everybody wants this. They don't. Some people don't want to participate, don't care. And even if we pay them a salary, are wanting an hourly mindset, whatever the case may be. So fine. So what are the criterion to even enter the model the benefits model. But once I'm in, now we have a hundred owners looking for every opportunity for both cost cutting, but also revenue generating. So to Bob's point, I'm out in the neighborhood with my business card going, you need, you need to be, be long to our restaurant. Right. And well, I mean, membership. And like this is the kind of I just don't know a lot about this idea of equity sharing, profit sharing, how you cut that up. But there's one a, of my thoughts: if you started a company early with the intent, and you say, "I'm looking to create really great. I want to scale. I want to grow, and I'm looking for equity investors now who are workers." And as we scale, as we get bigger, like you're you're investing in your long term profit, not your short your short term games. Like we want to. We want to open 10 locations here in our, in our community, in our state. Yeah, and the like, challenge with that, the challenge with what you're saying is that Joe and Henry and Sally and Jorge need to make a living in the interim. So while we're building the business and getting it to that point of being able to cut checks, they've still got to make a living. So it's a both and there's no right or wrong. It's a both and. And how do we, uh, I'd be interested to hear what Bob says with this. Well, real quick. Let me just say one more sentence is my experience of you is you're looking for a solution. And I think when, like when we say profit sharing, there's 50 different models of profit sharing. It depends on how the company structure is set up, depends on who the partners are. So rather than back to Kaizen or back to whatever this modeling is, depending on the structure, depending on the volume, 
depending on the concept, how do we create the modeling? That's the, uh, that's the discussion that we could be having that I think both Bob and I are alluding to. What's the model that will work for us? Yeah. Sean, um, I want to give you an opportunity to get your question. I was saying, I think Bob and I have gone back and forth and he's helped me with a lot of this stuff too. So it's like a, a hybrid of the perspectives. Cause I think Bob leans towards like the five, seven years from now model, which is very possible. But to Rudy's point, I think all of the reason people don't implement the ideal theoretical model now is one, either they don't have the ability or the backbone to do it. But two, there's realities of employees in the industry, like your guests, that you do need to take into account and massage them into the new ways of the best thing that's best for awesome. our business. So like, so like I'm, I think in Nashville, I think I'm definitely the, the most forward thinking group in terms of like, make your choice, do your thing, trying to do automation to some extent, but I have limitations in terms of budgeting and, and all that stuff. And and I get plenty of pushback from guests that I rely on to make money to get Jorge and John and Susie, their, their daily income. And so like, I think from Rudy's perspective of there needs to be compromises to some extent, just to make a, a, a living wage for the people until we can get to that theoretical point is a very true statement. Um, Cause I guess the thing that. Uh, Sean, Sean, let me, let me say this. Your, your very first question in chat was the development of, you know, the labor structures. Yep. That, that's where you would start this. And if your employee came walking in the door after you've done the model, because it doesn't matter what the employee thinks, this is what we do. No, that, I mean, that makes, that makes sense. And when you, however, it's hard to retain really good people that way when people wrong, wrong, you're wrong. Keep going. And the reason why you're incorrect is because if I show you a model and I'll be glad to do it, uh, where your dishwasher is making $60,000 a year, he's not going to say no. Sean, what do you want to say? Sorry, I muted you. I just couldn't. That's okay. No, I, I muted Bob. I muted Sean this time, Bob. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it, Sean. No, I mean, I, I I agree. I think it's a balance still. Like, uh, if I could pay the dishwasher $60,000, that would be amazing. I guess my question around that was management, which I think it should be much higher than that, you know? I mean, right now... It is, it is like, though. Yeah, and I, think, and I think, and I think Rudy's different slightly solution of like profit sharing to get them above that mark to where they need to be until we can get to that theoretical no, model. What, what really and I'm a finance person. We call it, we call it a model for a reason, right? It's a model of uh, something that is hopefully going to happen, but we have to adjust it and there's things that we can tweak and change. Oh, um, but there's the realities of, of life and how we can like massage to get to a point. It's like micro failures to get to that version of the, the theoretical, like a great model that you're talking about. Sean, here, here's what I'm going to tell you. What Rudy's describing is a bonus. What I'm describing is revenue share and a bonus. Yes. I agree That's with that. And that, yeah, and then 
different. Yeah, and, I, it, and you don't need to wait until the guy's there for five years to do it. Right. No, I think you can wait eight months. <laughs> no, I think you can, you can do it day one. Right. I really believe if that's your model, right? If you were selling tacos, okay, and, and you put onto the taco price a you know, break up the revenue of what that item is into plate and service, okay? And you measure that on a daily basis through your POS, then you could pay out if you wanted to. I wouldn't suggest it. But you could you could figure it out instantly, okay? And it could be day one. And I'm not even talking about the bonus that if you're hitting my projection, and you go over that projection, you know, we're going to give you 20% of the number. That's, that's my bonus plan. Okay. That, that just all goes with the corresponding thought. The more we sell, we sell, the more we all make. What I love, Bob, I really appreciate the nuance that you just pointed out. And it's not, it's actually bigger than a nuance. Uh, whether it's 401k whether it's buying buying in to equity, right? Um, one of the coolest parts of the restaurant business is, and many of us got our start this way, I certainly did, was sweat equity into a deal, right? And I got 10% of my first deal out of doing a good job and turning some of my bonuses back in for shares, right? For money that I didn't have cash in hand. So there is this both end of profit sharing bonus, watch your language. Do I turn, what I didn't say was, do I turn that profit sharing back into shares, right? Or if the company is public, I there is very, we can't even play there, right? It's share equity only. Yeah, whole other dialogue, but our business, ironically, for those that choose, is one of the few where somebody young or at any age can actually sweat equity into ownership. It's it's phenomenal. Yeah, if, it's, it's if we do it right. And the question leads itself to, you know, you ask the big question, and that is, how come we never tried this before? <laughs> exactly how, how come well i think that's why uh yeah you, we shot like eric says we shot ourselves in the foot and so we're still overcoming that like i think if that was more regular thing which it's becoming then, well, it, then we can do it but i think there's still an overwhelming sense of like public opinion and resistance and friction to some things while they're not Others. So like what I hope, that's why I love this group is like Eric has all the theoreticals because he's talked to so many people, but he still has the optimism of we can do this. And then the accounting side, the consulting side, you guys have done this and you, you consult a bunch of people. Many of the person who's in the trenches in the current market to like ask the questions and to refute them. So like over the past, obviously six months, I had all the theoreticals and the things that, and a lot of them are working, but there's still plenty of things that like I have to pivot because it's not currently working. It doesn't mean it's not going to work in six to eight months or two or three years. But again, there's that, there's that, um, 
breathing room that has to happen in between yeah. there. Yeah, well, Sean, was, Sean, here's what I would tell you. Okay, most operators are like what you're doing. You decided that you needed to do it by yourself. Okay, you did it. You opened. You're functioning. You're not hitting all the metrics, but that's that's to be expected because you, you usually everyone overstates what the realities are going to be. Uh, and now you're faced with, oh, I got to pivot this and I got to change that and I got to enhance. You know, you, you're going to go through the, uh, you know, the, the cut and paste thing that most restaurateurs do. And now the hybrid model that you created may work. It may not optimize what you do. And I can't tell you how many clients I've gone into who said, oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing 18, ah, blah, blah, blah. And I take a look at their tech stack and I take a look at their reporting and I do a current condition study and I find another five, six, seven points. Right, Rudy? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. Why didn't you do it from the beginning? Yeah. Because you made a decision in the beginning that you were comfortable with and there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. But if you follow, you know, there's a reason why my company is called Kaizen. If your if your mentality is to every day improve, okay, every single process that you do, then you should never be happy with the number. Right. Oh, trust me, I'm never. And happy. You have to be able to say, you have to be able to say at any given point, I made a wrong decision in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. It's not Eric. Eric I'm curious. It's not I'm a more what, sin. It's okay. <laughs> no, I'm curious what Eric's like perspective is because he's obviously witnessing like consultant to operator, and he has like all this other knowledge. I'm curious, like, because I feel like you have a in between vision or like opinion or point of view on on like our perspectives. Uh, I mean, I, I think that what what uh, Bob's laying out right now is, is way better than what most people offer in having that some type of, of profit share or rev share is next level for sure. Uh, I'm curious about what the next 10 years looks like as, as technology improves, as things change, as I I see an industry of, of specialists where you're going to like, there's going to be a mechanic, you know, like you're a mechanic and you own steak in 10 restaurants and you do all the mechanical work for those restaurants. Your partner, Eric, uh, I listen, that's your job. I listen, I listen you're a to chef. You know, you yeah, do yeah. your job is the creative for 10 restaurants. Uh, you're, you're in the marketing. Your job is to do the marketing for 10 restaurants. Uh, and then I, I see a world of, of owners. I think that we are going to see a world of specialists as we move into the future. And um, I don't see why that's not an option. Okay. Or you just have an industry of, of specialists and you, and you partner with different restaurateurs in your community and you all, okay. it, you see it like Richmond. Uh, it's just not as complex yet. Mark. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was witness to a webinar the other day uh, about, you know, the future of technology in the industry. Okay. And one of the things they talked about is exactly this subject. And a guy was sitting there. He was a, he was in charge of the grill. Okay, except now the grill is done by you know the robot. 
So now his job title isn't grill cook. His his title is chef tech. Exactly. Okay. And because his title is chef tech and the robot can knock out 320 burgers a, a, an hour. Okay. His job is to make sure the machine works. Yeah. I think we're saying the same exact thing right now. And that's the, there's a whole different set of skills, skill sets associated. Exactly. The guy who could, you know, flip a burger is in a chef tech. I can't wait for that to happen. I'm actually okay. super excited for that. And, and yeah, 10 years from now, the back of the house is going to look like an automated factory. The front of the house hopefully won't lose. I know five years, right? Really? <laughs> well, that's the thing. So like, I think what you're giving right now is a solution and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I don't know how much longer it's when going to you be. Talk a solution. About- Cause like everyone's going to catch up to that. And then what's next? No, no. When you talk. No, but when you talk- the point, Eric, the, so what you're alluding to if the tech the tech thing is coming, my sense is five for sure ten. There's no doubt. So what? The model is still what we're talking about is the owner, whoever has the majority shares, setting up a business culture that is willing to either fight and create us and them me or us as owners, all of those people and those robots, or we building a company that whether they're techs or consultant internal, which has been around for decades, right? Bob and I both played. That's how we got where we are. It It's, so what the ultimate model is going to affect and evolve out of the willingness of a brain and a heart to say, we, this goes back to restoral of soul, right? Do I restore beyond hospitality, my team, as well as my community, or do I just take my money to the bank and buy a Ferrari? I, it, it's well, I mean, I guess one part of what I want to explore is how do we create like a more equitable structure where the people who are involved, the people who are necessary to make it work are treated owner as thought, necessary, you know, like owner, like, owner thought needs to, uh, you know, when you talk about robotics and you talk about tech and you talk about software, those are tools that has nothing to do with the model. Right. It's a new knife. <laughs> well, I think that as a as French knife, <laughs> this idea of you guys are familiar with the idea of working on the business, not in the business. I think that we're going to reach a point where every employee is working on the business because the in the business is going to be completely automated unless it's face like forward facing oh. customer facing. Uh, if, you're, if you're looking for that but, type of interaction. But, but again, so you're you're coming I love the intention that you're holding. Come back full circle to the very beginning of the dialogue. Uh, Bob was talking about culture. I was talking, I am absolutely a culture guy. What you're talking about is how do we treat the players in the company? That is all culture. It is the respect of purpose 
of values, of communication, but also both of us have, Bob and I, have alluded to systems. Most industries do pro formas. They do budgets. They do anticipatory strategy. Most restaurateurs, especially small guys, wing it. Yeah. You ask, how much money have you got in inventory? And they go, oh, dude, I I know to the penny. I'm here every day. And they're off every time by thousands. So what what we're really talking about, I think, is ultimately the mindset of the culture of the industry up to and including the NRA that says is fighting minimum wage, is fighting training, is fighting health care. And I'm going to take the risk that both Bob and I, as I'm watching you, your head nod, health care is evil. No, health care is a right. Health, if we paid health care, our team, uh, well, first of all, it should, (laughs) we should be putting that into our tax base. But the point, the, the, this whole thing of fight minimum wage, fight health care, fight a living wage, fight whatever, as opposed to we're in this together, robotics or not, that's a very different business model. And I'll stop there. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's interesting because the industry is a follow the leader kind of group. You know, they take a look at what their competitor is doing. Yeah. And I th- yeah, you and, need to prove these concepts. And once that happens, once these you're assuming, people will follow suit, you're assuming yeah. that the competitor is making uh-huh. some astronomical EBITDA and he's not. So if you're going to copy his shit, it's going to be shit. Okay. Well, I, no, and I'm confused. Rudy, what were you shaking your head at? I'm shaking my head because Bob's got as much gray hair as I do. Both as you as you say, oh, the modeling will prove itself, dude. I work with 0.5 of one percent of the industry in the United States only. Nine hundred eighty-seven thousand brands. I've worked with 0.5 of one percent. That's how many go. Wow, I love this idea. I want to build that. You're going against the culture. That's why we we are going against the industry doesn't want to hear what we're saying. The industry wants us to wants owners to be the smart guys. It's a white male industrial age BS business model. Yeah, I'm the boss. You're an idiot. Do what I tell you. And the industry doesn't want to hear it. Okay, so Rudy, Rudy, I'm I'm going to make you feel good, and we could probably go offline and talk about this. But Kaizen is raising capital to do the Kaizen model. Okay, and we're going to show the industry how it works. Yeah, I mean, what I said earlier when I thought you were shaking your head is that if if you get people to adopt this model, and they are attracting onto themselves the best talent, and they are winning awards, and they are doing the best. I think we're, we're monkey see, monkey do kind of people. We're going to follow suit. I, I would love to think so. 
and Bob, you know, bravo to Bob with his Kaizen model and getting the capital to do that. That's one of the reasons I'll make up the story why Bob is probably playing with you. It's certainly why I'm playing with you is here's a platform. And I don't know that in my whole career, I've ever been as blunt as I'm being right now, (laughs) but, but we've got 40 years, 40 years of double digit, 18, 20% EBITDA and net profit profit sharing models, 20% turnover in an industry that typically has, right? And who, nah, that's all BS. That can't possibly be because this over here is true. That is the experience and maybe the generation coming will shift it. Maybe, I don't know, I hope so. I will say that uh, the culture that we did, which I got mostly from Rudy's kind of breakdowns in his episodes and the costing models I got, everybody, if we do it from the beginning, like it all makes sense to them. And they see when we're doing profit sharing, like I I say, we're going to do it as soon as we pay back our investor. Like that's, which is true, um, which is projected to be a year. Like they see how it all ladders up because they see every single day how, it makes sense. So right. say, Sean, it, it, yeah. did your forecast include a 25% EBITDA? Um, no, it was closer to 18. Okay. If you were producing 25, what's the ROI? And I was being conservative from my no, that's good. back. No, that's good. But if you actually did a 25% EBITDA, uh, how quick is the return, blow people away. How quick Sorry, is the return on investment? It's not a year. It's six months. Right. Okay, and if you followed a non-operating revenue model and you did all the other things, you're going to, number one, retain the best employees because you're going to be paying high-quality incomes, number one. Your return on investment is going to be extraordinary, not based upon some 3 three to 5%, you know, NRA model, okay, because you don't want to do that, okay? You're going to have base and benefits and bonus and all the other things that we talked about. Okay, your return on investment is is like crazy. Okay, it's it's crazy money. Okay, and when you when you start producing twenty five percent EBITDAs, I can tell you from the equity side of what I do, Sean, that if you're not producing twenty percent, I'm not interested in talking to you. Okay, because I need. Why does it? Why does it? Why does it feel hostile and not helpful? It, because it's not hostile. You know what? Why do you think it's not hostile? Well, because I'm from Nashville. That's why. No, that's so. not why. That's not why. The reason is, is because you have to generally accept in the very beginning of this conversation that the out-of-the-box models that we're talking about are not only possible, but you need to do them. Oh, I accept them fully. I feel like I, I do them more than... Yeah, most people that you're talking about, which is why I'm excited. So <laughs> I just don't do them to 100 percent, which I need to do. Well, it's it's yeah. not it's not hostility. It's it's passion. Now is a good time to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Margin Edge, a restaurant management software that uses POS integration and invoice data to show you your food cost in real time. Margin Edge gives you your prime cost daily, so there's no surprises at the end of the month. By totally digitizing your back office, your team saves hours on paperwork and gets instant insights to manage food costs, labor, and budgets in the moment, not weeks after the period ends with supply chain disruption and labor shortages. Making real-time data-driven decisions is more important than ever. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, Margin Edge is going to cover your onboarding costs. That means you get 60 days free to get started and up and running before you make your first payment. To learn more, head to me.marginedge.com slash restaurant hyphen unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. Today's episode is brought to you by DiagioBarAcademy.com, and I cannot be more excited to be partnering with Diageo because we have such similar missions. We want to share knowledge and transform the industry. Diageo Bar Academy equips bartenders, servers, managers, and hospitality professionals with the insights, stories, and tools to be better they are consistently raising the bar on industry standards, and no matter what your skill level is or knowledge or availability, there's something for you at DiagioBarAcademy.com. They have master classes and live events, and if you can't make those master classes or live events, there's recordings, so you can watch it on demand at your convenience at www.DiagioBarAcademy.com. That is D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Get over there. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant on Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. So Eric, to your, to your point, why doesn't the industry do this? The grit, to me, the process is well-intentioned. So if, as I get frustrated at times and passioned, as Bob is saying, impassioned, what we're talking about is being awake, also part of Kaizen and martial arts or the actual translation of the word, ongoing growth, ongoing development. Can I be awake enough, not unlike you've done with your own podcast, not unlike a terrific chef or server or bartender does or skier or climber or any lifelong endeavor that I'm better today than I was yesterday. As opposed to this is the way I've always done it. I'm stuck. It's my money. It's not your money. And you'll never care as much as I do. That's true until it's not. So part of this is just the nemesis of being human 
and stuck. Stuck. As opposed to willing to expand into new possibilities. Without getting too esoteric, this is the, to me, I'd like to think this is the happy medium where Bob hypercritical analytical brain really, really nuts and bolts. And I start out the conversation up here with purpose and values and loose and don't talk about a business plan. We're actually much more aligned than we are disparate. The process is how do we evolve, not how do I keep being stuck? Because stuck, you're going to go broke. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm reading Wes's words right now as you stop. So I'm a little caught off guard, but I mean, I, one of the things that did not come out of today's conversation and I realize we're over our time. So if you guys need to bow out at any point, I, I understand uh, is like, so we talked about a little bit of the, the, the differences um, you mentioned. I, I'm curious the, the specific difference between profit sharing and bonuses. I mean, I think they're pretty obvious, but where like can you get into the details of what those differences are and where those things are appropriate is the bonus come that comes after the profit share i'm assuming but you want to take that one rudy (laughs) well well to me they're synonymous until they're not so what i guess before you answer that, let me just a little more context. I feel like there's a lot of terms thrown out around there. Oh, for think, sure. So it, it gets confusing to people who aren't completely familiar with the technical side of accounting and what do these terms mean? Where, where, where do they come up? How far out of reach are these things in reality or are they not far at all? And if it's just a matter of understanding where to allocate funds, then let's get started. But when and where do these things like what's appropriate? Like, okay, it gets well, confusing. It's overwhelming with how many different uh, terms there can be. And well, now you're saying there's it all depends on who you are, what you are, where you want to go. And there's a million different options. It depends on what you want, which complicates so, it more. So what I've appreciated listening to Bob, I, and I could go where you've already stated, let me, let me back up and go to bonus to profit sharing in, in the way I use the term. So a bonus is maybe in my lingo, a bonus is on a line item. A bonus is on performance criterion wherever it's listed. It might be food cost. If I'm the chef, it might be food cost. If it's a line cook, it might be numbers of plates that have gone out without a rehash, right? Without having to refire it or without waste. Maybe whatever. Profit Rudy. The, the interesting part of this is that I've, I've had this conversation with operators and they follow that, you know, food cost, you know, hitting a number kind of thing. I, I can show you my white paper on why that's a bad idea. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, look, it, it's real simple. And I understand Wes has a problem with the concept of ownership because ownership is stock and equity in a company. Isn't right. that what a co-op is technically? Yes. Yeah. It's a shared equity. Okay. So yes, you need to understand the definitions of how all of this stuff relates. 
And that's kind of what I was hoping to achieve today is just kind of well, like, what is this stuff? It's a bullet, like, it's a bullet point, dude. How that's do we have these conversations if we don't know the meaning of the words we're using? It's a know? very different. Yeah. Equity is stock. Okay. Uh, which poses a whole kind, a whole set of other problems when you talk about ESOPs and worse, if you're a public company, uh, bonuses are based upon performance criteria. Okay. Actually, we have two levels of bonuses. We have one for performance on a number and another one because you have a damn good attitude. Okay. The damn good attitude is almost more important than the performance number. Well, and, and we, we actually measure performance, measure behavior. Yes. So, so there are criteria, and I would say with behavior, that we can actually define good attitude and pay for it, pay for the behavior. No, we, we, we put that under, uh, we train you in specifics, yeah. and, you, and you progressively get better, yeah. you're going to get paid for that. So this is the kind of stuff that if I, I would like to do a workshop, a more granular, Great. this is how you do it. But I wasn't ready to have that conversation yet because I just don't even know what all this stuff on paper looks like. Where, what, like, you know, what does this stuff look like on paper? Like where, how do we compartmentalize the conversation well, to roll out curriculum or just it's it, to me, it's overwhelming because I've never, this has not well, never been my strong suit. Well, what it, what I love with what Bob just did and, and your question now, Eric, is way more fundamental, right? What, what hits me is we can build a glossary that is a, literally a, a dictionary, a glossary of terms running right through the list, but then know that within any one of these models, there's a myriad, at least for us, a myriad of nuance that gets evolved. Every company is a little bit different because every company is set up a little bit different. But the glossary of terminology, easy to do, actually, that's a whole simpler, different conversation. <laughs> well, I think that's where you start, right? You, you got to start with where to, like... Well, what's we, the glossary and what makes sense for different people? Like where, yeah. where on the spectrum do you fall? Right. Like, well, yeah. You know, yeah well, take, take, take the, take the, the, the evil five, right. Base is going to be your base salary, which by the way, the concept of hourly goes out the window. Uh, benefits is your healthcare, right. Mm-hmm. Life insurance, childcare. There's all kinds of things you can do there for the benefits. Bonus, yeah. bonus is different. Bonus is about, you know, you growing to a point that contributes to the team and you get extra above your regular uh, conditional compensation above that based upon a criteria. So that's bonus. All right. Profit sharing. That's another that's different. That could be a, based upon gross revenue and net revenue. So that was another question I had earlier. What's the benefit of gross versus net? Why would you choose one or the over the other? Okay, because if you have a culture where you're just telling your employees or your, your team members, don't call them employees anymore. When you call them team members, it's different. That they're going to get a, a additional compensation based upon net profit. And I go out and buy a Ferrari and, and charge it to the business. 
That's not going to make them happy. All over. Yeah. That, that's not very fair, is it? So if you do gross, you're, 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 you're getting a percentage before. Remember I told you I in, in 2001, I introduced management, management deal concepts to John George when I was CFO there. Okay. And that's all he wants to do now because they get a percentage of the top and a percentage of the bottom. Right. The only, the only thing he cares about is the top because the bottom can be manipulated. Cause okay. that's app. So I'm going to I'm an accountant for 40 years. I can manipulate that number. Yeah. The, but, but so then, then we come back full circle to culture. So into the glossary again, I'm, I, with what Bob just shared, I'm hundred percent in agreement. Eric for in the world I live in, we, I much prefer, and we've got lots and lots of case study for it to do both and gross and net, not either or, but both. Yes. both. Because, right. because net I'm going to cut gross. I'm going to sell and a both end is where real vibrance happens, right? And that is ownership. Absolutely. The other thing, Bob, uh, that we haven't talked about is the whole concept. We've alluded to it, but the concept of open books and actually teaching. One thing we do with all of our clients that are, are interested in it is we actually teach the staff how to make their own PL for their home. Yeah. Right. Recall I mentioned in the training part of this, yeah, the hiring part of this, financial yep. literacy. Exactly. Well, that's what I'm trying to achieve right now is financial yeah. literacy and, for and, myself and, and my listeners. And so literally, I've got some clients that literally post the whole PL. Yes, it could be manipulated, but some guys, even the whole financial statement, including the balance sheet. But so here's the PL. Yeah, there's some trust that it's not manipulated, but it's up. And the team that's participating is actually literate in reading and literate in managing line items or whole sections. So that we're that financial literacy that Bob and I are both alluding to. Suddenly, I don't just have um, a prep cook. I've got from whatever country. I've got a prep cook who understands the yield. Whether they're using a robot or a French knife, they understand to go down to the nubbin of a carrot or a or a head of celery, or to use a scraper with a bucket of sauce to, uh, on the Hobart because there's two points right there, right? I think I just thought of the first episode that I would like to do. And maybe, I don't know how we decide who speaks to what, um, but I think the first conversation that needs to happen is financial literacy. Like people are preaching what to do, but for most, let's be honest, I would say probably 50%, at least 50% of people who hear the words are like, that's what I need to do. But I don't know what that means because you're using words that are just foreign to me. I just don't understand how it all fits together. Well, and here's, here's a really frightening thing, Bob, I'd love to hear your experience with this, especially the mom and pop, the individual single operator, even, even maybe small chains, the CPAs that are being used have crappy formats 
not restaurant specific, not with budgets. They're doing QuickBooks P&Ls with no percentages, no budgets, no year to date, right? And the it's garbage in, garbage out, right? Are you, you have that experience, Bob? Seventy uh, percent of the industry is in love with QuickBooks. QuickBooks doesn't do inventory. QuickBooks not even Gap. And you know, you go and you hire these third-party bookkeeping services, okay? And that's what you get. Yeah. Okay. You know, Eric, that I've been implementing, you know, Compete and Restaurant 365 and C2It and Miris and a couple of other platforms, Sage as well, yeah. for 24 years. There's a reason why I tell restaurant operators <laughs> that if you're doing $2 million, please invest in those platforms because they're going to be invaluable to you. Okay. Now's not the time to skimp on the tools. They're an investment and they're not that expensive. It's not like it's a million dollars. And I think the other thing that's important to support your argument is that what you pay for right now, if you're paying a membership model, you're going to evolve with the time. Like you're not going to have to reinvest. You're not going to have to reinvest. Like from day one, your membership is paying for your evolution. And from day one, it's giving you the financial controls to monitor your dailies or weeklies if you'd like. No more than that, because you want to live on that cycle, uh, so that you can produce those high EBITDAs. So you yeah. can identify shrinkage from the beginning. You need the numbers to track. You can't track what you can't see. And and we could do this from day one. This is not something that I have to earn my way into six months in or two years in. We can open with this stuff in place. That. So- uh, if we're gonna if we're gonna lead the charge on creating you know literacy or um, just yeah financial financial literacy, literacy and uh, I think in if we're gonna create lead the charge and just transforming the industry which is the mission statement yeah. you know inspire empower transform then the first I think the first step one for F- workshop one is what is the lingo what is what are the words what do they mean relative to what we're gonna be discussing going forward and then what are the actual business models and options. Um, here's here's, whether, here's what you're saying. Those that financial literacy is the top of the column, and the first episode you're already doing it's called alternative financial structures. Okay, and you need to just accept that that's the possibility first. Well, and or it may well be how to boil water is first, Bob. It may well be here's. Here is, I remember at, at UCLA, I swear to God, when we opened the hospitality school, the cooking side, the culinary side, we literally had to start with, here's how to boil water and make toast without a toaster. So to your point, Derek, is here's a financial statement. Here's what a line item is. Here's why there's a, here's why you have percentages and numbers right? What is the format and why is it important? And then, I mean, what fun we could have tap dancing with this. And then how do you cut it up? Right. And then how do you slice it up? How do you cut it up? And what is that? What significance does that mean? Right. Um, So, I mean, the, 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 the models I would like to pursue deeper. We haven't, we didn't really talk much about co-op. I don't know where you guys fall in that 
if that's co-op co-op under your heading as an alternative is a, a little less expensive than ESOPs. Okay. But you're still going to spend like 60 grand to do it. And it's really a messy model in my experience. Yeah. We don't have to get into it now, but I mean that, I mean, I would love to explore why, you know, and, and I just, I just don't, your average restaurant tour does not know the intricacies, the differences, the, the complexities of these different models. I think it'd be fun to explore uh, equity sharing. And I think that's where, uh, it all depends. Like we were talking about before, Rudy, like what is your, what are you trying to, what are your, your objectives? What are you trying to achieve? What's the big picture reverse engineer? I think it would be cool to kind of explore what the most common avenues are. So you can kind of narrow it down for the listener. Like, okay, like here are some examples of what is important to different organizations and what would make sense for them. If which one do you identify with reverse engineer with equity sharing? And then there's the, there's the salary focus salary base with bonuses and rev share hybrid model, which is probably closer to what Bob is saying with the Kaizen model. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, the Kaizen model is about, you know, we go back to those five things again and it's, it's base because you've taken away hourly employees. Uh, Benefits is, you know, I already told you what the possibilities are there. Right. Bonus is a performance number and a and a, and right. a training. Okay, but when you get into the revenue, and then, what, and then with the that, revenue, it, it it has to be a specific there. It's a revenue share. Okay, and, and just as a side note, Wes, gross is not sales minus cost of goods because I know you're trying to hybrid this model. Yeah, okay. it's based upon the top line. Gross is only the top line. Yeah. Okay. What am I missing in that? Well, you commented chats as gross is essentially sales minus cost of goods before expenses. No, it's not. That's gross profit. That's not revenue. You you were talking gross profit earlier about. No, no, no. It's it's revenue. Yes. Gross. Gross. We were talking. about is top and bottom. Top and bottom is the top line revenue, okay? Mm-hmm. And the bottom is the net profit. Yeah. Yes. Right. Uh, 100%, 100% agree. Gross is gross. Gross is the top line. Okay. Gross, so so what, yeah. what's in your top of line then that I'm missing? Because I'm... So, if, so, for instance, if a restaurant's doing a million a year gross... That is its gross sales in combined food, beverage, membership, whatever criterion it might be. Right. Period. And okay. how is that not revenue? So, right. You but don't we use the word revenue. It's it's the gross. The, re- the revenue is a passing comment, but in the model, gross net are two specific numbers that we're tracking it's, revenue it's, it's, is it's easy revenue to just, could be t-shirts yeah okay you, know, you can you can simplify it eric the top number and the bottom number yeah. well, i mean the way i've, I've always I'd, understood I'd like it to, is like to gross, is, gross is money in net is what i keep right that's how i understand it right um, what's that's over <laughs> yeah all right so so you said yeah, that 
Um, <clears throat> we're talking top of line profit and bottom line profit. No, no, you, no, no. Hang on, hang no. on. It, what we were talking about earlier was giving out gross profit versus no. net profit. No, no, <clears throat> gross. So if we've been doing a million dollars, right, and we can get to a million one, we'll pay on a million one for revenue. You'll, we, you'll pay, pay on, on a million one, one revenue. We so pay on one. Pay on that's, a what's over right. a million? Yeah. So you're paying for. So if you're doing so profit, one, one would be the base. So you that's would. Least, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So it's anything over. Whatever your what base. the goal is, the the, the target is. Yes. And same that, thing with same thing with net. If we start paying on ten percent or twelve percent or seven percent, whatever or twenty percent, whatever that net number is, that's the baseline, and we start paying above that line. But you want to pay off revenue, is what you're saying. Gross sales and net profit. Correct me if I'm wrong, Bob. You're yeah. right. That's right. So you're paying, you're going to give a shares of gross sales and net profit is an option. So you're saying you're incentivizing, hey, we're going to give you part of gross. Awesome. And more you we're going to give you part of the profit. But so I'm guessing the percentages will be different. Yes. Well, obviously it, it, smaller and gross. No, large, bigger, 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 because it's a bigger number. No, because the, the, at least this is my two cents, <laughs> Bob, you've put me, me on fire. I, I love the way you started the call gross, dude, gross is magic money. It's magic money. It's sitting on the table waiting to be given to us. And to Bob's point earlier, and I strongly agreed most restaurants leave money on the table or through the con- they have a colander instead of a pot money either eeps so if i drive sales if i want a million 5 and i can get to 2 million it's 500 grand i didn't even imagine fuck give 3 quarters of it away cuz you're still keeping your gross below the target and then whatever is extra is just extra money to to, to throw. So, so let's use real numbers, a million bucks. We do a million five on 500,000. I give you seven. I give you 10%, 10%. Whoa. But guess what keeps the other 90? You. The company, yeah. it's, it's, so I could give away 40%. It doesn't, it's, I have to take out cost of goods. I have to, I have to pay attention to that a little bit, but above that gross base, it's just magic money, dude. If I can think abundantly enough. So we, there's a restaurant here in Colorado and Denver that has a model like this. They take the entire staff. It's an Italian restaurant, all made from scratch, Michelin one star. They take the entire team to Tuscany every year. And they spend a month looking at grapes, cooking food, 
including the dishwashers. So I think Wes still has a little confusion, and I do too. Um, I mean, I understand the difference between gross. I understand the difference between gross and net. Um, I understand that when you're doing gross sharing or net sharing, um, it's a combination of both, or a combination or a combination of both. It's in, it's the you're sharing the the numbers that exceed the target, correct? Up to that point, there's a base above which you pay. Yes. I'm still not sure what to call that. Profit. Revenue sharing. Profit above the target. (laughs) See, it it gets confusing. It's it's, so simple. No, no, no. Why I'm confused then. Stop. It's so, Eric, it's so simple. It's not complex. It isn't complex. Above the line. So here's the question is, and Bob, again, cut me off. The bottom, the, the, how much do we need to pay our bills to make sure we've got replacement expense, a war chest, just in case pandemic shows up, a war chest, replacement, R&M, benefits, once that's taken care of, anything above that is. What is that called? Once that's taken care of, what's the term base. for that? What's that? That's, we call it. We call it base. I don't well, know. What do you call it? Calls it. I, I, I'm going to confuse you some more. And if you build, if you build it this way, the revenue share isn't based upon an overage number. It's based upon dollar one. Cool. So overage is, is the the excess that you get beyond that target. If you're doing a target revenue share. If you're doing a target. I'm revenue. telling you that you don't have to do that. You could you could make it even crazier. You can you could sit there and say, I got to, I'll, I'll use real numbers here. Okay. Because the Kaiser models are constantly on my desktop. I, I have a person that comes into my restaurant. And they order two beverages, one app, and an entree. And my total cost for that is $7. My forecasted business model says that I'm going to run a 22% beverage cost and a 25% food cost. Okay? So that brings the menu price of the dish or the dish price that we charge the customer $29. Okay, you with me so far, Eric? Yeah. Now we're going to add service income from that of 20%, which is basically tips, right? So now the PPA of that customer is $36. You with me so far? Yeah. And I'm going to do 200 covers a day. This whole model assumes that the the consumer is going to be open arms with the gratuity charge. No, see, you're not going to tell. Here's the here's the fallacy in the industry. You guys want to sit there and you want to put surcharges on the bill, which is instant pushback from a customer. Okay, you walked into a restaurant and it said 
We are a no-tipping restaurant. The menu price is what you pay. Eric? Yeah. Would you care? I wouldn't care. I'm, okay. I, I, I'd save money. I usually tip 25 to 30%. So, so like, now, so now you got to That'd be great news for me. Yeah, because you don't have to figure anything out. You're paying the same amount of money you would pay it anyway. Have a nice day. So it doesn't cost the consumer any more money. Okay? But I don't want to go into the amazing liabilities of wage and, and labor laws. <laughs> okay. I don't want to go through the extensive hours of bookkeeping that it needs to take to figure out the damn tip pool every week. I don't even want to go there. Okay. Because that alone is good enough for me. That's where okay. most of your labor expense will come from is trying to figure that out. Well, here, here's, here's the question. My, my big question is, is minimum wage gone up? Yes. Yes. Is it going to go higher? Yes. Okay. How are you paying for that? With the um, 20% that you're getting from the service charge. Bingo. Yeah. Okay. When you do tips, right, that 20% that's on the tip line gets redistributed based upon whatever cockamamie pool, tip pool thing you've got going on in your restaurant because it varies from place to place. Okay. Now you're going to take that 20% of what I call service income, service revenue, and you're going to spread it like it's, you know, like it's a sock. So out. you're saying that, that that service charge won't even show up on the bill. This is going to be incorporated oh, into the All the you're going to cost. see is a menu item that says $36. Yeah. Okay. I'm doing a prefix, okay, for you, Eric. And you get two cocktails an app and an entree for $36. No tipping. When you get the bill, it's going to say $36. Yeah. Um, Wes, do you still have questions earlier? I feel like we never f- answered your questions. I, I want to make sure you, there's no confusion by the time we leave today. Yeah. And, it, I, I, and I probably am right I'm there. I'm getting thrown you. because we've jumped from gross profit to uh, net increase of sales, uh, okay. net increase of gross sales to, uh, and we're, we're bouncing yeah. around here. So, yeah. um, Wes, I, Wes, mm-hmm. I'll be glad to go on and show you this on an Excel sheet. Yeah, and the gross profit piece is still it. It's just gross, right? It's sales, dude. It's not it's sales. Money. It's sales. So I've got a. Um, I'm going to bow out. I'll okay. talk to you guys soon. If I can be of further support, please know. I'm more than willing to. Okay. Thank you so Bob, much. It, Bob, it's great to meet you, dude. Thank you very much. Yeah, we should just hook up for a conversation. We could laugh our heads off. I would love that. Uh, I'll look forward to it. I'll, okay. I'll, I, I, you, can, you can reach me through the platform. Just, you know. Okay, will do. All the best. Thanks, thanks guys. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay, so, Eric. You see this yellow box? You see the, the Excel sheet now? Yeah. Okay. So this is your this is your product cost. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you got two dollars in beverage, right? You got one dollar for the app and four dollars. This is just an example. Okay. And what this little algorithm does for you is it, it allows you to put your costs in. It determines by the percentage what your budgeted cost of goods is supposed to be, 
right? 25 for food and 22 for uh, beverage, all right? It figures out what your dish price is based upon that, right? Here's the tips or what you think are tips. I call it service revenue, okay? This $36.36 is what you're charging the customer. There is no sales tax because that's not your money. Okay, and what that does, you say, okay, I'm going to do that many covers a day, and that's going to generate a total revenue for the dish and a total revenue for the service income. You take those two numbers, that's the number that you see here. The, the model in the column here for P&L is the traditional restaurant model where tipping is a liability on your balance sheet, and it's not a Kaizen model. The Kaizen model is here, okay? And what it does is once you've determined what that number is, okay, then it breaks out an algorithm for labor here. And it tells you how many people for what jobs and how much this column here is the base salary. This column here. is the revenue share on the service income. Okay? And it, it ties out to the total numbers in the P&L. And this, over here, let's just move this. This over here is the total compensation for the employee. In this model, the GM's making $123,000 a year with benefits. It's not too bad. In here, the dishwasher is making $73,000 a year. Now, also remember that this model is taking into consideration the utilization of a tremendous amount of tech. So for a standard restaurant model that doesn't have the money to do the tech, then the number of people are going to change, but the total dollars are not they get just redistributed, you know, and I always get the question, well, how much is that an hour, Bob? And, and that's what these numbers are. That's the daily. That's how much they're making an hour. Crazy money, right? And this is a restaurant that's doing $3.1 million. You want to make it a delivery income, a delivery model? Delivery model only has seven people in it. It's doing $1.5 it's personnel, you know, the jam's making 93, the, the equivalent, I, I didn't change the bartender, but it's, it's, the, it's the logistics part. They're making 45,000. The chef's making 93,000. Wes, do you have any questions? And if you look at the P&L, Wes, the standard restaurant model makes 295,000 to ownership. It makes the same amount of money, even if you do this model or not. So it doesn't cost the customer any more money, and it doesn't cost you any more any more profit. But you got a bunch of happy campers here that are making way above industry average. You're giving all kinds of benefits. Your retention levels are going to skyrocket. In fact, if you want to add people to this model, your employees are going to say, fuck you, don't do it. We'll just work harder because that means more money for them. Because this revenue number, this service revenue number, 
goes directly in their pocket. And if you add more bodies to this mix, it's going to lessen their income. So they're not going to be real happy if you start hiring people left and right. And that's why you have to really seriously look at the automation. Your, your, goal, your goal here is to increase your levels. Now, let's take you to the, to the level of Wes. Okay? I call it the level of Wes now. All right? You see that model? You're making two ninety five. You're paying ridiculous salaries. I don't think that the PPA for a casual restaurant is too out of line there. Do you? No. At, at I, mean, I mean, you know, it's it, doing it the way that you're doing it. It, it can work. It's just you got okay, to plan for it. Yeah. Well, let's get crazy. Uh, plan's a four-letter word. We don't like that word. Uh, if I go down and I start talking about and I start talking about membership to this, where I'm charging the members a total of 725,000 years looking for 500 members at $1,450 a year, right? What's that? $4 a visit. Now that's like a door charge. That's like a cover charge. Think of it that way. Okay. And you're only selling to 500 customers. Well, that 725 number covers all your overhead and all your labor. Before you sell any food or beverage. Yep. Okay. So now if you take that and even if you deduct $181,000 as let's call it loyalty give backs to the customers and or paying your sales force to sell the memberships, that's what that number is. And you take the 295 from the standard operating, you're generating 838 thousand dollars against 1.5 million plus this which is what 2.2.2 yeah that's a 53.83 percent profit even though and that's how you do a high margin restaurant i mean if you look at the model you're, you're taking you're taking your cost you're figuring out what the menu price is going to be with service inclusive all in uh if you ever go to the caribbean they have deals for all-inclusive. That's what this is. Okay? You stipulate how many covers. And when your operation doesn't do 200 covers, you just plug in the number that you're doing and see how it affects your model, and you can make adjustments as you go. But there is a, a, a fallback. You know, when you do models like this, you have to be very, very aware of what your break-even number is. Other than that, it's taking the traditional restaurant model with improvements and controls. That's why you can generate, you know, 20 plus percent. All right. And adding the Kaizen model stipulation to it. You make the same amount of money as an owner. The, 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 the patrons are, made, are paying the same amount. So there's no difference. The difference is what you're able to extrapolate to your employees. That becomes a big deal. And that turns, you know, Jose, the restaurant guy with the prep cook and a knife into a food service professional at that point. Yeah. I've loved this conversation. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to dive into the, this. Into oh, this is, this is revolutionary stuff, Eric. Like Rudy said in the, in the conversation, most of the industry don't 
they don't follow this. They, 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 they are not going to adopt to this until somebody else does it. And they could look at it and say, wow, he's doing great. He's doing 50%. Well, I think that's part of the issue is nobody shares this stuff because of fear from each other. You know, I think that's what we need. That's the cultural shift that needs to change is where our industry won't evolve until we create standards and share the standards for a better collective. Well, that's, that's like saying, you know, when you interview somebody, Eric, one of one, you know, and you could talk about a story uh, somebody told me this yesterday. I kind of left. He says, all you need in the restaurant industry is, is money and a bullshit story. I said, oh, really? <laughs> I thought about that for a while. Uh, you can listen to to the trials and tribulations of the restaurant tour and how he got to where he got to. But one question that never is asked is, what's your profit margin on this? What's your return on investment on this? That question never comes up. It's private. It's none of your business. I'm not sharing that. It's the secret sauce. Have you know, I, th- I think a lot of it might be shame that the, the number isn't that high. And they're embarrassed to admit how little they're making, you know? Well, you know, it's it, it lends itself of, open to, as Sean would say, hostility and critique. <laughs> it, it's not hostile and it's not a critique. It's two and two is four. Okay? And when you're in the business long enough and you start to see where all, as Rudy would say, the money is left on the table. Yeah. Okay. Then you start to you put things in place to to limit that shrinkage. It's all about shrinkage, you know, identifying where it is and blah blah blah. And that's how you get to that twenty and twenty two percent number. Okay. Yeah. All the other stuff about the Kaizen model, no tipping, full benefits, all that stuff is moving the shift of the restaurant industry to like a normal corporate environment. Okay, and now if you do that, there's a huge incentive for your team players to perform hospitality and give an experience. And that's what they should care about. They shouldn't care that, oh, my hours are getting cut. Oh, uh, I don't have any benefits. I can't afford health. I can't afford child care. I can't afford this. I can't afford that. All that goes away. It goes away. Uh, and And you're also... Uh, allowing yourself to be more selective and and the people that you're hiring, so you can hire a, a higher quality because you're going to attract more people with your model, and it and it also further allows for if you end up with bad team members, you're more likely to replace them with a quality candidate as you can explain the differences. So to your, a certain your, extent, they can start your, to go. Yeah, ahead. your team members are going to be the one that control that, not you. <laughs> Because if you put in a team, a new team member, they know that they're going to get less money and their attitude is going to be, okay, how much are you bringing to the plate here? How many, how many customers are you bringing with you? You know, the revenue has to go yeah. up in order for that guy to sustain a, an additional body. Your staff is not going to want you to throw extra bodies at things unless you have to. They become right. their own police department, you know? That's a good thing. All right. Well, I appreciate it. I'm going to have to hop. Um, I, I do as well. Appreciate it. Um, I'm going to follow up. I think what would be a cool follow-up workshops is a, just a deep dive into what these terms mean. And then I would like to explore co-ops. I think that we're going to discover that, that that still is probably going to be more for mid-sized organizations. Maybe an evolution beyond this model would be um, if we're more of a co I don't know. 
there's just well, a lot of when we we developed this model in 2010 okay and we did it because of just what you talked about the esops were too expensive they were prohibitive the co-ops didn't seem to work and and they well, come I mean, with them. there's a lot of organizations that are co-ops that are work um maybe not no, the no, restaurants I, I agree but there's not many of them yeah okay and when we tried to develop this model we said Let's let's play restaurant mentality here. How could we do this with minimal cost? Yeah, I see this being so. I, I want to do a deeper dive, like I did into ESOPs uh, with co-ops, and then um, I think I see this being a high, like. This is probably one of those examples of a profit share that, like, when how you could use it. I'll use your model as an example if you're okay with that. Yeah, I'm fine with it. You know, um, and and Rudy is be the first one to tell you I could present this to an operator. And they'll go, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. Well, it'd be cool to eliminate the no's, you know, what the no's or what the questions are that the no's that you get and why you, you're, what, what's your counter, you know, what would, what would your counter argument be for those? Um, but let's explore that when the time comes. Yeah, my, my counter argument is your model does 8%, mine does 22. Might want to listen to what I have to say, even if you don't do the no thing. Yeah. Okay. But if you want to do the no tipping model, now you're going into, you know, memberships and all this other stuff. You're, you're talking about a whole different animal. Yeah. All right. I want to, let's, let's cut it there. Uh, I appreciate your time today. Thank you for staying longer than anticipated. And um, I feel like I have a, a greater understanding. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Stoppable. Special thanks to Rudy Mick and Bob Sloop for being my mentors, uh, sharing their knowledge with me and helping me dive in deeper to this conversation of more equitable business models for the restaurant industry. And and I would love to pull back the layers much more on uh, how to do profit sharing Uh, the step-by-step process for implementing profit sharing, what legal issues we need to consider when doing profit sharing. I, for one, would love to see an industry with more owners. I want to know how we can pull that off without getting too complicated with the legal issues. Uh, And then Bob brings up some really good points too with getting more salary-based employees, You know, doing away with this idea of an hourly employee. Uh, That way you can project much better. You can budget much easier so lots of cool things came from this conversation i hope you guys enjoyed it Uh, we have some cool stuff happening in restaurant stoppable network uh if you're listening to this episode today early in the day you still have time to join us at 2 p.m eastern today crimsy ramsey is joining me live at 2 p.m to talk about why she closed her restaurant and to kind of dive deep into this idea of when you know you're ready to close uh, I think sometimes when we open a restaurant, we, we think that it's just going to be forever. We're, our, our retirement plan is death. But the truth is, we might not want to have our restaurant forever. Forever, We might need to really think about what our plan is for exiting uh, and exiting on top. So we're going to be talking about that. Also, she is giving up social media and she's also doing this just while launching a book. And I'm, I'm really interested in why she's doing that because I I think you guys know how I feel about social media. I think it's necessary and I think that's a problem. Uh, We'll dive deeper into that today when you're listening to this at 2 p.m. if you want to be a part of the conversation. Uh, Later in the week, we have Laura McCutcheon joining us. So her episode went live last week. If you enjoyed her episode, uh, she's the founder and uh, owner of 
Hill Life Bakery, where they specialize in vegan and gluten-free uh, foods. If you're interested in connecting with her, she'll be live at 2 p.m. on December 20th. And then on the 21st, we're going to have Peter Lazar, author of Restaurant Strong. Uh, if you enjoyed his episode, he'll be live to answer your questions. So come hang out in the network. Can't wait to meet you. See you then.